Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. podcast. We are back after a little hiatus over the holidays. We're actually going to hear an interview today that I recorded just before Thanksgiving with an author from Chicago, Haley Bowen. She has a new book out. I just got it. Sent me a, a copy earlier, but the book is now out, Jillian. She is part of Curbside Splendor Publishing out of Chicago, so I want to spend a few days, talk to several of their authors. This is the last of those interviews, and it was great. They're wonderful people, and they are exactly the kind of people that we want to work with at the Downtown Writer Jam podcast. It's a small, independent publishing house. They do cool stuff. Um, They came down and participated in the Downtown Writers Jam Volume 2. I believe we are going to try to do a jam in Chicago this summer. So you should sign up for our newsletter. Go to the blog, geekypress.com, and sign up for the newsletter right there. Get all the information as that comes out. Coming up on Wednesday, February 25th, is the Downtown Writers Jam Volume 3. It is taking place at Indie Reads Books, as always. There will be six authors from 7 to 8.15. That is free. And afterwards, we are doing a fundraiser at Indie Fringe Theater, which is right next door. It's going to be a one-room pub crawl. We have um, three or four different local breweries. We have lots of gifts and goodies that we'll be having a silent auction with. Um, The Indiana Writer Center has donated something. Corgi Snurgle Press has donated books. Authors that we titled the show are donating. The University of Indy, um, Curbside Splendor. We also have gift certificates to restaurants and places like that. So you'll be able to bid on these things in a silent auction. And all the money that we're raising, all the proceeds, are going to Indie Reads. So we'd like to. Part of the reason we conceived of this live event series and the podcast and the blog was to begin to help raise money for literacy in Indiana, along with building up the literary scene or being a part of the literary scene, sort of a very real way outside of just writing and things of that nature. So tickets for that are $15. So the jam is free. The juice is $15. All the money that we are raising goes to any reads. You can find all about that at thegeekypress.com backslash events, or you can go to indieliterarypubcrawl.com. That's who we've partnered with. Once a year, the Indie Literary Pub Crawl puts on a big um, literary pub crawl. It's a well-named organization. 
through the cultural trail, Mass Ave, where you go from bar to bar, and there's author readings and things like that. So we're doing a mini version of that. So it's all very exciting, and we're very happy to be back with the podcast. We have a couple interesting interviews coming up. What is fun about this, many of the folks that we've talked to so far on the jam have been very outgoing kinds of people. And one of the things that you may or may not know about authors is that it is, I think, a rarity when you come across people who are very excited to open up and talk about writing, mostly because most of what gets talked about in terms of writing is bullshit. There are, you have ideas and themes and things that you want to accomplish when you write, but at the end of the day, you want the story to be good. And so lots of people want to delve into deeper, darker things related to that. And it's not always the case. Sometimes your, your characters just take you in a place and, and that's what happens. Or in my case with nonfiction stuff, like the, what happened, happened. And beginning to construct meaning out of that is it's difficult to sit back and ascribe emotions and things, um, ideas later on um, as to what that means. So this is really our first interview where um, it's a very... Uh, introverted interview and it was I find it absolutely compelling the things that people say and don't say and the kinds of conversations that people want to have and don't want to have before and after the microphone was turned off we had long deep conversations and then when the microphone came on it was uh, and it was to be shared there were um, some some awkward moments which is just it is so much a part of what the writing world is and so much why I wanted to make the Geeky Press and all of the things we do with that um, inclusive to all these different kinds of things. And um, afterwards, Katie was just like, oh, I don't, was that good? But I don't, I, she was very concerned about it. And I, I think it's great. I think it's amazing. And I think that um, a lot of you are going to hear her dissecting the way that she writes and why she writes. Um, and the the image that there's not a lot of things going on with the writing, even though there is, like the, as she tries to articulate what was uh, going on, I just find fascinating. So this is one of my favorite interviews, even though it was also one of the most um, awkward is the wrong word. It was one of these where there were, the questions didn't always flow easily, um, but the conversation I found wonderful. And, and we, like I said, we talked for several hours, um, and we've exchanged a few emails after that. So uh, I just I find this um, amazing and interesting, and I know you will too. So now I'll turn it over to Harry Butler, to me, and you'll hear Naomi, who's from Curbside Splendor, because we were at her party. So we're sitting in Naomi's apartment. Where's this at? Where's what part of Chicago are we in? West Town. West Town. So I got lost. I drove all over town, and we're sitting here with. This is Noble Square. Well, sure, isn't it? I, I have no idea. It's also the East or East, or East Ukrainian village, right? So, what's the diff? Like, what is this part of town? Like, what? Like, what is the 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 thing that people think about here? 
Because it's neighborhoods, right? Like Chicago has bunches of neighborhoods. Residential. So this is kind of a small neighborhood, and I think it is Noble Square. I think that's the the original name for the neighborhood. But they're uh, real estate agencies to market to market apartments came up with all these crazy new names for neighborhoods. Um, and I think West Town is a new sort of like hot properties in West Town. Yeah. Like sounds. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 It's like. I think we also think of Boston as like blanketing in East Village. Yeah. East Ukrainian Village and Yeah. So, but you don't live on, you, where do you live at? Uh, two blocks north of here. So, you live right around the yeah. corner from here. How long have you lived here? <laughs> I feel like this is a, we just met, but I feel like that is a thing that you have. Lots of opinions. I don't know if that's unique. <laughs> um, I have lived in Chicago for 10 years, and I've lived in uh, this neighborhood. Uh, I, well, I moved briefly and lived in Logan Square for a year, but I've lived here for a long time. Yeah. You move around a lot when you live here. Where, where were you born at? I was born in Bloomington, Normal, Illinois. Oh, uh, what's the school there? There's a school there, yeah? Yeah, ISU. Yeah. Uh, I went to Washington Elementary School. Um, ISU is uh, Illinois. They have a big museum curator program there. Do they? I went out to give a presentation there. I think that Barry Blinderman work is the curator of the ISU Museum. It could be. He's, I saw a good show by this artist Sebring Beerstag. I hope I'm not mispronouncing his name. Uh, there a couple of years ago, um, but I'm not going to describe it to you. What? So, I can't remember. What? Um, you, so you grew? Did you did you go to school there your whole life? Out in Normal? No. You moved around to Michigan when I was in high school. And so. Okay, so you were the, from the Midwest. So you're from the what part of Michigan? Uh, East Lansing. Oh, another college. So were your parents professors? Um, How do you end up in college towns? My m- mom was a law professor. Yes, and my dad worked at museums. Oh, really? Yeah. So did you grow up? Were you like were you a reader as a kid? Like, or did you were you writing? No. What kind of kid were you? Um. I was kind of a weird kid. I'm an only child. Um, I did read a little bit, but I wasn't one of those, like, Jane Eyre, like, lost in a book all the time kind of kids. I was kind of wild. What does that mean? Well, I would go, (laughs) you know, I, I wanted to get the neighborhood kids to, like, do bad stuff with me, like, break into other people's backyards. Breaking into the backyard with the bad stuff. Oh, okay, so it was pretty tough. <laughs> yeah. So wild, maybe. You were less wild, maybe. Well, like, I would wear my baseball caps backwards. Have you ever done that? I, I have. I have. Yeah. I would sit uh, in non-traditional ways in chairs and things like that. Uh-huh. Chew bubblegum uh, in a way where it was clear that I knew I was doing it rudely, but that I didn't care. <laughs> so when I was in college, I used to sit on top of the I would sit in the back, and I would sit on top of the chairs, and I had a uh, middle finger earring. That was like my big... That was that was going on inside. Yeah. <laughs> you wanted to have the middle finger earring, yeah. but instead you sat weirdly on the chair. Yeah, I just, you know, put my foot on the table. A lot of I dare you looks at teachers and stuff. So were you a bad student or a good student? Um, 
I was a really good student up until about sixth grade, and then I was a very, very bad student in high school. I believe I had a 1.9 GPA up until junior year, and then senior year I got really good grades. what? There's no reason for the senior year. I just wanted to be good all of a sudden. Yeah. So even the wild stuff you were doing was less about rebellion and more about, like, why, why were you like that as a kid, do you think? Breaking into backyards and then... I have no idea. You just were doing stuff. Yes. <laughs> well, you have to, you know, you have to do something. You have all day to just hang out. Uh-huh. You get to choose what you do, right? Yeah. So you moved to Michigan, mm-hmm. and you graduate with a two-point something, something south of a 3.0. Yeah, I think I'm, I don't know, yeah, something, yeah, definitely south of 3.0. Did you go to college? Yeah, I went to college. Where at? The School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Really? <laughs> yeah. To do what? Um, you do not have to declare a major at the Art Institute. I went there... Um, with a portfolio of prints and some figure drawings. And I wanted to do printmaking initially. Um, but that is where I started writing. So you were a visual kid growing up. Like, you were drawing. Yeah, but I liked reading. You know, I would read one book every other month. But then I would, you know, like, weep for a long time after reading it. Like, it would affect me profoundly. But then I was like, okay, now I'm going to watch fucking Vampire Slayer. <laughs> well, that's that's good stuff, though. Yeah. Joss Whedon is worthy TV fair. Yeah, I mean, it's a good TV show. So... What makes you well, like? What draws you to the art institute? Like, were you was that like? Did you think you were going to be a visual artist, or did you just like the fact that there was you didn't have to declare? Like, um, I think that when I'm going to make a generalization, I think that most 18 year olds don't have a lot of foresight, and if that's not true for everyone, it's true for me. Yeah, uh, I teach college. I, I feel like that's. A, yeah. a good generalization. I wasn't thinking like this will be a great step in the direction that I want to have my life, blah, 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 blah. Um, I just went there uh, because it, it was cool to live in a city and, you know, the Art Institute seemed prestigious, so that helped my ego. Um, and then you get there and everybody's very cool. Uh, and then you think, like, yeah, I made the right choice. <laughs> what did your parents think? Well, they were very supportive. So they were supportive of the art and the, all the stuff like they don't... Well, you say, of course, but that's actually not the case for a lot of people. My dad was a, a, an art museum curator. And my mom was an English teacher for a really long time before she started being a lawyer and then teaching law again. Um, and I come from very smart, creative, supportive parents. So that was just like part of the... So they thought it was okay that you were sort of getting bad grades and no. they didn't like that. Well, you know, but sometimes, like well, because creative people sometimes, like, don't fit into school and so their parents are supportive of them in other ways and are like, well, I mean, it'd be nice if you weren't failing, but you're doing these other things. No, I really wanted, I, I, I don't know. Uh, you weren't doing other things. Uh, I was doing other things, but I was doing teen things. Yeah. It wasn't like, you know, working on my collection, like, <laughs> master etchings or something. I was a kid. Uh-huh. 
Well, sometimes kids do those kinds of things, though. Yeah. I didn't. I hear other people do, but I, yeah, I was mostly fucking off at around that time. Yeah. Or, like, doing subversive things. I wrote a piece that almost got me kicked out of high school about, um, oh. yeah, about, you had to do, like, this, this um, in the writing class, and I wrote a thing about there being no God, like a fiction story about God not existing, and that, that was not well-received in my town as a thing. It got beyond the high school, much of the town. I had a, the principal, I had to go to the principal's office because some students told their parents and they weren't happy about it. <laughs> yeah, that I was, because it was also a two-page assignment for which I wrote 36 pages. Because <laughs> I was very interested in what would happen if I did that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I don't know if it was cool, but. No, that's cool. Yeah. I, I, mean, I think that's cool. Yeah. Were you wearing your um, fuck you earrings? I had a t-shirt that I made that's, I made it that said apathy sucks, and then on the back it said, but I don't care. So, like, I, that was me. Like, I was that yeah, fucking, like, cool. I was hipster before hipster was a thing. Did you screen print it, or did you do it with a marker? No, it was back in the old days where you could actually go, there were stores. There was a store where you could oh. go get a t-shirt made. And yeah. so I went down and, like, actually, like, we laid out the letters, and they pressed it, and, like. Oh, we've got one of those here. Yeah, I wasn't cool enough to do the screen print. I know a lot of people that do screen printing now, and their bathrooms are all fucking destroyed, and their houses are just, like, different colors, and they're like, that's what happens. Yeah. That My parents would not have gone for that in any way, shape, or form. Well, I think there's a way to do it and keep your space clean. Yeah, I'm not that person, though. I, like, I don't clean. I just, I just sort of do stuff. So you go, you graduate? Yeah, I graduate. And then did <laughs> what? Uh, so you get into writing there. So like, how does how does the art institute lead you into writing? Oh, um, well, my last year there, they started a BFAW. Um, they have an MFAW. The W stands for writing, obviously. Um, and they started an undergrad undergrad writing program my senior year, and I switched into it because if you switch into it oh I guess I must have switched into it earlier but if you switch into the writing program you could take more English classes and I was getting really into reading so that's why I did it and then I also just started writing because you had to take writing workshops and I liked it and I kept doing it what was it about it that well, like were they the um, that workshop model where you'd write and then like people would critique it? That's the only workshop model, right? Yeah, well, I mean, like I don't. There are other ways that workshops operate, oh, uh, yeah. but that's like the typical. Did you like that? You don't seem like you would enjoy that. I wouldn't. Oh, um, well, I, I, I yeah, I liked my classes. Yeah, I had really, I had really great teachers. Um, the people who were teaching in the writing department at SAIC are really good. Yeah. So it was just cool to me to have the teachers reading my stuff because I thought they were, were cool. <laughs> uh, you know, I trusted their opinion, and uh, it made me nervous in a good way. So you, the, the, do, do you keep in touch with other folks in the that you went through the program with? Like, are they writers? Do they pursue that? Um, or was that just sort of an experience that you went through? People left Chicago um, right after school, so unfortunately, I'm not in touch with a lot of them. But it was a good experience. But you, so you connected more with the teachers than the. No, I mean, I, no, no, I, I had friends. Yeah, no, no, it's not about friends. Like, it's I'm talking about writers. Like, it was that your experience with them was more with the teachers than this. No, no, no. Um, I had, uh, I, I admired my peers' work as well. Yeah. 
Was there like a publication or something that came out of it, or was it? Yeah, there was, but they didn't publish my thing. So that was it. Was you spent a year, whatever your was it the bachelor's or the you did the bachelor's part of it? You did the underground. Yeah. So was that like your final project? Was a novella or some kind of what was it? It was a collection of short stories. So is that where you gravitated, like at at the time? Uh, or did you just write? Were you just sort of figuring it out? Really, like um, a cohesive narrative to how I became <laughs> a writer. Um, I I did my homework in school, yeah, um, and I was writing short stories. Um, I was writing in kind of like a fanciful tone. Mm-hmm. You know, I was reading a lot of Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> I would have like um, office scenes because I was working in a cubicle at facets at the time and just miserable uh and so i would have i would write all these stories about people working in <laughs> but with like kind of a jolly kind of this uh, pose not jolly but like kind of a yeah. fancy overwritten prose style and i was like this is really cool <laughs> doing something really edgy um for a long time um and i tried and failed to write like seven novels and then in uh 2011 uh i was like fuck it i want to write a novel and so i sat down and i wrote it in a month that's the book that's being published with curbside and at that time, I was I was working in a doctor's office, and the characters do work in a doctor's <laughs> office. Um, but that's, I mean, that's the extent of it. I feel like that's not very interesting. Yeah, no, it's I I find that stuff fascinating. Um, and the people that listen to this, <laughs> listen to what I'm talking about. So you said seven failed novels. Like you started and stopped, or like you sort of got through them and were like, this is a piece of shit. No, it started and stopped. How far did you get into them? It depends. You know, one about like uh, like a like a crazy little girl who um, is like tormenting her older brother's girlfriend, um, which sounds cool, uh, but it just didn't work. Uh, I got about forty pages into that one. Um, then I had another one that was about crickets. <laughs> uh, that I got pretty deep into too, and then a couple where it's like eight pages, and you're like, oh. yeah. I have like three that 40 seems to be like I'm at like the 40 to 50 stage and I actually stopped writing fiction because I can't I'm fucking awful at it like (laughs) it's just like it's not what I do and so I try and I'm I just like go back and read it like this is just insipid fucking I don't even like it's awful it's terrible I don't even want to read it yeah I think you should always I think one should always wait until, well, I always wait until the first draft is completely done before rereading anything, um, because it's too embarrassing. But you knew the 40 pages, I mean, that wasn't that, but I mean, like, there are times, aren't you, aren't there times when you're writing where you're like, this is not working? I am very, very nice to myself when I'm writing, and I'm very, very critical of myself when I'm editing. Really? Yes. So you wrote the book in a month. But that, so let's talk about the process. Like, it out. did you just like sit down and write it, or did you like have it sketched out? Um, you seem like a sit down and have some coffee and get to it. I went into the creepy little attic of my apartment building, cleared out 
people's bullshit, put some curtains up, made myself a little tent, put a desk in there, and every day I would get up at 10 in the morning, drink a pot of coffee, and then I would break at noon and go get a donut and two pairs of RC Cola and <laughs> go back up there. It was in the summertime. It was really, really fucking hot there. And I was listening to a lot of Katy Perry really loud um, and chain smoking. So that's the writing process. Yeah. <laughs> RC Cola, Katy Perry, yeah. cigarettes. And, you just, and, and so what was it that made you, like, what's the... What was the thing that needed to come out? Like, what was the thematic thing? Is that how you write? Do you think, like, here's this is a thing I want to say? Or do you just get characters and go? I think if you start off with something you want to say thematically, you're going to end up with something kind of dead. So it was just with the with Jillian... Which is a novel available on Internet Splendor <laughs> coming out February 10th. Um, uh, is, uh, I just wanted to write a fucking novel, and so I was like, just do it. It doesn't matter if it's good. Just do it. So I just wanted to have, I just wanted pages. So I just was like, okay, well, it's gonna just do it. Just get those pages. <laughs> that sounds so stupid. Um, but no, I didn't have, I wasn't like, here's how I'm going to change the world with my beautiful thoughts. Uh-huh. I was just like, I know, I wrote about people who I kind of know. Yeah. You know? So it's, so it's, it comes out of your life. It is not fantasy yeah. in the genre sense. Yeah, I mean, it's set in Chicago, uh, and half of it is set um, with a group of, you know, 24 to 25 year olds people and then half of it is set in a suburban world kind of I don't know well I do (laughs) (laughs) Um, well okay um, so you have not read this book I have not read this book (laughs) I'm just kidding Um, so uh, the book is um, bad at describing my own writing Um, but you started with a character is that as that you said like there's this character or like how do you begin? Um, you think of something funny and you like it and you keep going. I mean, I don't know. I think everybody's different. So I think it's really dangerous to be like. They are. That's why I'm asking you. Yeah. <laughs> Not how the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, I I write a lot and I discard a lot so it's just you go in and like pick things out of the when I sit down to write I will do like my writing partner he writes he'll write fucking 300 words in a day and they're perfect like he will spend four hours I I sit down and like 5,000 words will come out and I'm like there's a paragraph that's not terrible and I kind of pull that out and then everything else I don't delete it because I feel like well maybe someday I'll like it but it definitely goes away yeah, of like fucking terrible, like awful things that every once in a while I'll reread and go, oh, that's maybe there's an idea in there. And then I kind of, that's like when I write long form stuff, I, that's what I do. Like there's just this massive dumping and then sort of pulling in. But like Ben yesterday was saying he knows the first, or no, was it Dimitri? Ben, one of the two of them was saying they know their first and last scene and they know what that looks like. And then they write to that. And that's fucking baffling to me. 
that I would even know the end of something when you started. No, I can see that. Is that, but that's not how you do it. No. Right. <laughs> so you just sit down and write, and then pull things out. Um. No, I sit down. Well, you know, I'm not. I've only done. You know, I've only completed successfully one novel. Mm-hmm. So for this project, you know, I just sat down and. When you're working on something every day, you you have good recall with it. You're in it, mm-hmm. um, and so if you're deep in it, you can kind of do all of the outlining as you're drafting. Um, and so you'll get, you know, a couple scenes in, and then you're like, oh, okay, it would be cool if something like this happened later on. And so you kind of work up to that. And while you're working up to that, you. Um, or I, <laughs> um, <laughs> with, um, like things that I wanted to happen a little bit after that first point of reference. And so it was um, just like being only one or two steps ahead of myself mm-hmm. the whole time um, was the way that I did this one. Is that, do you think that's the way, like my, like, uh, John and my writing partner, um, like I'm a note card guy now. Like I have to put everything up on the, on a, on my wall and then I have to take it, like once I figure it out, then I have to take it down. Cause like, if I look at it, it's like starting with a theme. Like yeah. if I'm like, okay, I'm at that note card now, then I'm writing that note card and it's, it, it's awful. But I need to have, I can't, I have to have a physical manifestation of that. I can't keep it in my head. Yeah. I, I think that's okay. Yeah. You keep yours in your head, though. I did last time. Do you think that's... What did you learn from it? Like, when you do the next one? Because now you have to do the next one. Um, I uh, learned that I could write. <laughs> and that's really all I learned. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't learn anything about... Structure. I, I, I feel like I'm not giving you a right answer. There's not a right answer. <laughs> but I, I don't know if I, if I am able to see it that way. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I'm able to see it like I learned. Well, how did, how do you see it? Just as a process that you, that, that was an individual process that you went through and it'll be different the next time? Yeah, well, I mean, I, uh, yeah, I am writing something right now, but I don't talk about things when I'm writing. Yeah. Um, So it's kind of, it's very different. Um, What you're experiencing this time is different. Very, very different. It's not, um, I'm, yeah, it's completely different. Yeah. Um, So I guess what I'm sort of learning about writing is that it's different, not just person to person, but time to time. Yeah. I guess if I uh, were in a position where I could take the time to just take a month off and uh, seclude myself, I would do it that way every time because it's really fun, but you just don't always have that luxury. Yeah. I don't think I could do that. I need, like, I write in chunks and then I have to, like, go away from it. I can't. It's like everything gets dumped. Like, I keep it all in my head, and then there's just, like, a massive short dump, and then I have to go, like, refill it with stuff. I have to read other things and, like, do other research and, like, just not even think about it or else I... But you're not writing fiction, you said? I do nonfiction. Yeah, so yeah. that's a little bit different. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. The, um, I have this conversation with everybody, which is that David Foster Wallace said that the more you write, the more you find out that fiction and nonfiction are the same because... 
like what you see is not it's just your perception of a thing it's not the exact representation of what happened and so you begin to fill in those gaps of like I don't know if this is how everybody else experiences thing but I can't tell 50 people's story I just have to tell mine so you sort of begin to filter it down but for me it's more the I don't know if it's the energy, but like when I get too deeply into the characters and the scenes and stuff like that, I just, the world starts to fucking get fuzzy to me, and I kind of forget where I'm at. I wear my I wear lots of. Um, my wife makes fun of me because I wear I, I'll wear my clothes inside out. Like I'll just forget where I'm at, and she's like, You've, "All your shit's backwards and inside out." Really? Yeah. Because I just stop thinking about what's around me. I get into the, I lose, I lose myself in that writing stuff. So I can't, I find myself, like if I took a month off, I think I'd be fucking weird by the end of it. You'd be fine. Ethan, I feel like it's, a lot of that is when I, you know, get weird, I'm air quoting. When I get, when I get weird, when I'm writing, a lot of it is just like the glamour of getting weird when you're writing. Right. I feel like I would do things like that, but part of it is like this this play act, like oh, drama. Like, the world ceases to exist. Yeah, but like for me, it does. Like, it, and not like, oh, I forget that I'm married. But like, uh, if I spend seven hours thinking about something, like, and I'm in that world, yeah, it takes. There is a transition period to me back into it to go. Okay, hang on. Like, the dog needs to shit. I need to take the dog out. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And concentrate. Yeah, it's totally that. And so, like, if something, if the shirt's laying there, I'll just put it on. I'm not like, I need to make sure all my clothes are right. Like, I'm just not thinking about you don't that. Have to go to like a, a proper job or anything. Yeah, for being a professor is not really a proper job. It's, there's That's sort of expected in that world, so it's not... Um, I had one of my students tell me one time, like, at the end of class, she's like, your sweater's on inside out and backwards. And I was like, but you tell me that at the beginning. Like, I didn't want to embarrass you. I'm like, teaching for an hour and a half with the sweater inside out and backwards is embarrassing. But you can't feel that on your throat? I was, then I was teaching. I wasn't thinking about how but I isn't felt. there's something cool about that, though? This is what I mean about, like, the the drama of it. It's like, I was thinking so hard about something really important that I couldn't even put my shirt on. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a fashion statement and it's kind of cool because you're like, by doing that, it, you're signifying to other people that you've got a lot of really important shit going on. Yeah, I felt like I was old and my memory was going. I did not at any you moment feel, like feel cool. cool. No, I felt like this is what happens when you get old. Oh. <laughs> I was happy that I had a passion. Yeah. But I was unhappy that my I got I get mad. I tell my wife all the time. Um, it, it's. I can feel my mind. Like to me, that is a signifier that my mind is not working the way that it used to work. That shit didn't happen when I was twenty. Yeah. Um. So I guess for me, like it's not like, hey everybody, like I'm a rat. Look how weird I am. I'm yeah. like, hey everybody, I'm forty two. Yeah. Like that's some bullshit. <laughs> no, I feel like uh, you don't need to feel self conscious about it. It was cool. Yeah. Well, now next time I wear that out, I'll tell yeah. my kids like. Just go. Hey. Betsy. <laughs> I'm going to call her Betsy. They're all, from now on, all my students will be called Betsy. <laughs> That'll be just what I call them. Uh, so why don't you talk about, because so, my, John my, uh, doesn't, actually I know lots of writers that don't talk about their stuff. Like why don't you talk about it while you're writing about it? Can you talk about why you don't talk about yeah. it? Okay. <laughs> um, there, there are a lot of reasons. Um, 
for me, it's uh, it's very personal, you know, to write. Or it's you know, you're only doing it with yourself, and so you don't owe it to anybody to tell them what you're working on because it's just it's just for me right now. Um, and I think when you start talking about things with someone else, they can get their you know their fingers in your brain, and um, you can get embarrassed about your ideas, and you can stop. And it's just a way to introduce doubt into the process. And um, I also think that talking about the novel that you are writing um, takes some of the novel energy mm-hmm. out of you um, and moves it to the conversation. And it feels good to brag about writing, <laughs> um, but I think it takes something away from the writing because you're getting a satisfaction, a cheaper satisfaction um, from saying that you're writing a novel in a conversation uh, versus the harder satisfaction of actually finishing the work. Um, So, (laughs) Do you feel like you lose the story at all? uh, No, I feel like the story, it's an integrity thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and like the integrity mm-hmm. story. I don't feel like, oh, I said it, now I don't remember what I wanted to write. Yeah. It's not like that. It's more just like, uh, yeah. Uh, if I could talk about it, I wouldn't write it. I think Ernest Hemingway said something like that. That's what I mean. I don't mean like lose it like I said it, but like if I have told the story to somebody. Because they're a very select, like I won't, te- like I have a reading, I'm not done with my book and I'm doing a reading from it, but it's from the part of the book that's that I'm pretty comfortable with yeah. because I don't want to like say, well, here's, this is sort of a third draft of this section because if it comes off really good, I don't have an incentive now to go, I'm like, ah, eh, fuck it, like it's, um, I have evolved over the years because I used to say, well, I want everything to be out as I do it. And then... I don't like those early drafts being out there because yeah. it changes and it's not, I don't really give a fuck what somebody else says. Yeah. And I think it's important to edit the whole if you're working on, um, I guess, even a collection of short stories, although I haven't done that, so I don't know. Uh, editing certain sections can change them and then they don't fit mm-hmm. anymore with the whole. It's important to know where the story ends yeah. and what all of the peaks and valleys are in it before you start um, making it public and editing it. Yeah, it's, and it's, um, it, I find it interesting because I don't, man, I don't know a lot of, they're like, my wife's a visual artist and stuff, but like this, the whether you talk about a thing or not, for writers is like one of those sacred, like there are people that talk about their stuff and then there are people that are like, no. And, like, those people don't ever come off that perch. There's not a, well, I'll talk a little bit about kind of what I'm doing. Like, yeah. The no people are like, no, fucking, it's just like you can't take a picture of me because my yeah. soul will be gone. Like, yeah. I can't do it. Um, and I, I find that interesting because I don't know. I mean, like, sort of intellectually, I agree. Like, yeah, you did, it, it's, you're taking focus from where it should be. But you can't work in a vacuum also. It's... Do you have a writing group? No. Or like a group of people that like see your stuff or that you... I I, sh- I show everything to some of my 
close to my close friends. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you have people that like, are they writers or are they just people that are like readers and they're give my, you good feedback? Yeah, they're my friends. It's not a writing group. Yeah. Yeah, so I won't let, um, yeah, I don't let, I don't let, like, my wife doesn't get to see stuff. Like, I am very specific about, yeah. needs to be writers who, sometimes I care if, like, general people that don't, you know, they're not writers, if they. I prefer that. Why? Um, because they're not going to edit it while they're reading it. They're going to have a reaction to it that's entertainment to audience, mm-hmm. not, um. Not the machinery, not like the, oh, you did that, why did you do that? Yeah, well, maybe they're, if they're looking for something, they're not like a trained bloodhound. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're like, I think that you should make this character order a strawberry milkshake. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, actually, no, no, that's not what I mean. Actually, I can give a specific example. <laughs> um, uh, so a friend of mine told me to move, um, you know, one of the earlier readers for Jillian told me to move um, to move a scene earlier, you know, and he was just reacting to it as as like a, a reader and he was totally totally right just because he he's a heavy he's a heavy reader yeah so you know he reads a lot and he kind of has an instinctual feel about how a novel should should feel yeah um and he made that suggestion and uh it i i made the change and i i liked it yeah i, th- I thought it was a good as opposed to a, it, that it wasn't a i call this like um when i i don't enjoy when i read like at some point, I read now. Like a, I look for the machinery. Like I'm always trying to figure like what the author was doing. So I try not to have that. Like why is this chocolate instead of strawberry? And saying like, okay, they've chosen this. Like one doesn't fucking matter because sometimes. Well, yeah, the milkshake right. example. I don't even know where that came from. But I just, but there's a lot of those in books. Like sometimes you're just having people do a thing, and like they got in the Camaro because that's the fucking thing that was in your mind. Yeah. Not because you were making a statement about like Camaros. Yeah. Um, and then sort of trying to say, okay, if I can scoop aside that, like, what's the machinery of how they're moving me through? Um that's the stuff that interests me. And so when I'm looking for feedback, I want writers who think that way to say, like, is the machinery working? Because what's on top of it at the end of the day, you'll like it or you won't like it. Like, I'm not going to fucking change it if somebody's like, it should be strawberry. I'm like, "Mm, just don't read the fucking book. Yeah. Like, that's what you should do. Yeah. Um, But I want the machinery to be right. Like, I want to to be doing the thing that I want to do. Um, yeah, sometimes, sometimes, but I think some people don't care so much about the machinery. I think that they are just sort of, um, writing, like it's what they do. Yeah. Um, so, but you, so yours are friends. You don't really hang out. You don't, you don't have a writing group. You don't do that kind of stuff. No. And then. I, um, well, I just made friends this year, uh, with Susan Lanier. Mm-hmm. She's my, uh, she's my drinking buddy. <laughs> Um, she's really great, and this is the first uh, the first writer I have had a close friendship with. Yeah, I can't. Very new for me. Um, I want to read her stuff. She was down at our event in Indianapolis, and her fucking story was hilarious. Yeah, she's very very funny. Yeah, but you know, beware, her stuff's super sad. It, that's okay because almost everything I like is really sad. Well, then you're gonna like. Yeah, it. my wife jokes like anytime we turn something on or whatever, I'm like, oh. Yeah, everybody's going to die. And she's like, fuck, can we watch a love story? I'm like, here's a love story. They die at the end. <laughs> so when I heard Susan um, doing that, she did a, a story about a dildo. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
It was yeah. hilarious. Yeah, it yeah, brought yeah. the fucking house down. Yeah. And she just delivered it. She said she was practicing it the whole time in the car because she got added at the last minute. And I was like, nobody would have had any idea yeah. because it was just, that made me want to go out and buy her book immediately. Yeah. And What's in there? The game we play. Is that what it's called? Yeah. It's very good. Yeah. She, uh, uh, I like, um, it's, again, like I only met her for uh, just that night and I only heard that one story, but it seemed, um, quirky is not the right word, but like, very pointed like she there was a point of view in that story that was but it wasn't she wasn't nailing it on the head like yeah. the story what you had to listen to it to get like oh this is sort of what she's yeah. undermining this idea which i fucking love yeah i've read the stories based on uh but i i haven't listened to the live performance yeah i'm gonna check it out too yeah and it's weird to go from that normally i try to read everybody's stuff before they come down because i'm always interested first in what i take from it and then when you have to do it live there is a you sort of distill yeah what's important um so it'll be interesting to go back because now in my head i'm like well this is thematically what i think she's sort of poking fun at this sort of way that we are and then i want to read it as part of the collection what's the name of the book you know the game we play that's the name of the book yeah. uh so you're working on what did you know you don't have any any timetable for when the next book's coming out it's done when it's done yeah that's a, not it. yeah no, yeah <laughs> uh and so what do you do what you said that you work in a what's the job outside of writing i'm a temp so you have a job that gives you some flexibility too yeah. Is that is that sort of a? I was talking to Dimitri yesterday, and he said he'd never had a nine to five job because it gets in the way of his writing. Is that sort of how you feel about it? Um. Yeah, I just don't like. Yeah, uh, yeah. Bosses and structure. Yeah, yeah that's a simple way to put it. Um, yeah, I need to be able to. I need. Well, Psychologically, I need to be able to, if I want to, say I'm not coming in next month. Yeah. And temping allows you to do that and to keep your job. Yeah. You can just do that. Right. And I've been a, uh, usually just a secretary. Yeah. A secretary. Um, and they don't like it when you're like, <laughs> taking next month off. I got some shit to do. Yeah. Gotta make a movie. Sorry. It's um yeah. It's the sort of constant thing that I have is my dad wanted me to you know it was that classic where I went to college. I was gonna be a writer, and he was like, mm, maybe teach, like right in the summer. And you know you're 18. I'm like, I don't fucking think that's how that works. But like I don't think you just teach for five hours and then go home. And I feel like that's a. And I'm also pretty sure that I'm gonna be able to make a lot of money uh, working in the entertainment field. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got, I got lucky as a journalist and being a technology guy, like I actually did okay. But again, it wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, but it is the, the flexible, I thought being a professor would give me flexibility. Like, oh, I'll just, I'll teach a couple days a week and I'll work like that. No. Absolutely does not happen at all. <laughs> you have to do a lot of work outside of the class. Yeah. And like weird academic things that don't really, you know, you go to a conference with nine people and I'm like, you're all lovely, but. A nine person conference? Yeah, I mean, I was at a conference. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but I was at one last time, and, like, it is very often when I'm at the academic conferences that I will give talks to 15 people. Oh. And you spend a month doing it, and I'm like, that, I could have, that's, that was, 
I could have used that month. <laughs> like in other ways. But it also is sort of part of the reason that we do the stuff that we do in Indianapolis and, and that we do here is sort of building that community for people that are because it's fucking terrible to have a job and be a writer. Like most people just want to be a writer and have that be the job. Most people just want to be free. <laughs> and uh, and it's just that's just doesn't seem to be the way things are structured anymore in terms of career. Like, do you imagine a time where you will just be a full-time writer? I, I try not to um, have any fantasies about the future, so I won't be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mean, right? Like, you just sort of like, I'm going to write today. That'll be enough, and then we'll yeah. see what happens. Well, and... I'm going to have to go, like, a couple months into the future. But not... <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we've been here for about 40 minutes, so... I feel like that's a good time for us to stop. Plus, it's getting cold, and I need more tea. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So there you have it. That was our interview. Haley Butler. Jillian is out with Curbside Splendor Publishing. I had a good time with that. You should go buy the book. You should read what she's written. She's amazing and funny and great. Don't forget, the Downtown Writers Jam Volume 3 is coming up on Wednesday, February 25th. You can find that at thegeekypress.com backslash events. You can also find that at Indie Literary Pub Crawl. And that's sponsored by our friends at Mouth Books. Indiana Writer Center, Yiggy Press, Indie Literary Pub Crawl, our friends at Indie Reads Books are hosting us, our friends at Indie Trace Theater will host the second part, which is the fundraiser, um, $15 tickets for that from 8.30 to 11, we'll have local breweries, silent auction, we'll have some readings, come out, support as we try to raise money for adult literacy in Indiana. As always, you can sign up for our newsletter at thegeekpress.com and keep up with all the stuff that we do. As part of what I do in my real life, I'm the editor at Carnegie Mellon's ETC Press, so we put out things like academic journals and um, uh, books about games and research and living in digital environments. So I always link out to that stuff. And we do them on demand, so these are not like $400 books. These are very accessible, a couple dollars. We also have um, books that we put out ourselves, so things like The Invictus Writers, my book, Dungeon Dreamers. We're going to start putting out some singles. We also link out to some of the more interesting books that we found. Like My favorite is the uh, crowdsourced book on role, the history of role-playing games, um, and we post about that regularly. Um, and they've already done 100 pages, and it gets, you know, thousands of people are fascinated by this book. So you can find out all these kinds of things that we think are interesting in the literary world, and you can find out about our upcoming events and the things that we will do. So, until the next time, have a good day. We'll see you around the internet.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.